I haven't always had control over the experiences that I've had in my life, but I have control over how I tell the story of them. I was thinking this is the greatest thing ever, and it is. My writing process is the same. I'm just a girl who likes to write. Oh, sometimes when you talk about the stuff that sucks, people will pay you money and you'll feel better about it, and then you can buy your Prozac. If you are waiting for permission to have a voice in this world and to tell your story in this world, then you're not going to get it. I'm Lux Alptrom. And I'm Lee Stein. And this is The Bindercast, a conversation series featuring our favorite women and gender nonconforming writers. This week, we're tackling the topic of memoir, something very near and dear to Lee, whose first memoir, Land of Enchantment, comes out from Blue Rider Press in August 2016. It's not like I ever thought I would write a memoir. Like, if you asked me in kindergarten what I wanted to be, I wouldn't have said, a memoirist. But I wrote an essay in the summer of 2012 about the death of my ex-boyfriend and mourning on the internet. And when I read this essay in public, it got such a huge reaction, and all these young women were lining up to talk to me with tears streaming down their faces. And I realized, oh my God, like, this is the next book I have to write. So I actually have the opposite experience because definitely when I was in my early 20s, my writing was very personal. Like, I really feel like I learned how to write through having a live journal. Um, And, you know, I got approached to write a memoir when I was like 24 and I thought I was going to do it. And it fell through, which was really for the best because the older I've gotten, the more protective I've gotten about my personal life and the less appealing a memoir has gotten because I just feel like I don't want to put myself out there. And I should say that this comes as a huge surprise to a lot of people because the fact that I write about sex makes everybody think that obviously I'm totally writing about who I'm doing things with and what I'm doing, which is the opposite. (laughs) I think what it comes down to for me is that I'm I'm just a little bit too scared of the potential fallout to really try dipping my toe into that pool. Yeah, I like that you mentioned fear. That's actually something that comes up when I talk to best-selling memoirist Jillian Lauren in this week's episode. Jillian Lauren is the author of a novel and two memoirs. The first, Some Girls, tells the story of her time in the harem of the Prince of Brunei. The second, Everything You Ever Wanted, is about becoming a mother as Jillian and her husband adopt a baby from Ethiopia named Tariku, who has special needs from the trauma he suffered very early in life. Something that was so interesting to me as I read was that alongside the story of Jillian becoming a mom was also the story of Jillian writing her first memoir. I really connected to this idea of yearning, whether that yearning is for a baby or for a book. So I asked Jillian about that moment when she first conceived of her memoir, Some Girls. There is a moment in the book where my husband uh, pisses me off, (laughs) maybe beyond any other time in our entire relationship, when he starts to express some reservations about the idea of adoption. And I was adopted, and this is when I was first considering that we might adopt. And and I, I was just so hurt and so angry, and it really kind of cracked me open in that way that is so painful and can also really be a blessing for us artists that we get shaken out of our 
habitual patterns. And like I say in the book, I, I don't usually write at night. I'm really a morning writer. But in this case, I was so angry at my husband that I was really, you know, considering packing a little bag and storming out. Instead, I sat down and kind of stormed out spiritually and emotionally and creatively and started to write. And I wrote in this white hot fury for hours. And what I wrote turned out to be the beginning of my first memoir. And it really had nothing to do with what was going on in that moment. You know, I did pick up on some of the pain that I was feeling and some of the themes that were going on for me and wrote about something that had happened much further in the past. And so that was, you know, really kind of an incredible moment. I'm curious to know why you chose past tense for some girls and present tense for everything you ever wanted. That's a good question. I know. I wish I had a smarter answer for that. Other than the voice of my work has always been, and for all of my books, I mean, I've also written a novel, and the voice has always announced itself to me. It's not like I had a very, you know, conscious debate over the uh, the benefits of first person or third person. Um, although, you know, certainly once it was in progress, I experimented with both for both books. But it, it turned out that the, really the first way it came to me always felt right. For me. So, you know, so yeah, my first memoir is in the past tense and my second memoir is in the present tense. I underlined a part on page 45 where I think the present tense really works in your head. I'll just read a couple sentences. I lie awake that night shot with pure, sharp anger. I should leave, leave now. And I feel like the present tense so works for this story of a book that takes place so in the moment and you fighting to be in the moment as you're faced with this huge obstacle of caring for this child. And I wonder if that's why it works so well, that being a mother is just this fight to be in the moment. Yeah, that's a really interesting observation. And I love publishing books for that very reason, because, and that certainly wasn't what I was thinking, but I love that distinction, and um, as I'm trying to be in the moment, talking to you right now, my child is running through the room. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. My child is running through the room, like, I gotta go to the bathroom. (laughs) Anyway, no, I love that observation. It wasn't, that wasn't a conscious choice, but I'm glad that that works and does maybe convey the urgency of what writing this book was for me, because I was writing about things that were much more immediate. You know, when when I wrote my first memoir, I was writing about events that occurred 18 years in the past. So there was a different, I mean, it was certainly also urgent for me to write that story, um, uh, but there wasn't the same kind of desperation. If you visit Jillian's website, you'll find a header that says, From a member of a harem to a member of the PTA. And before she even wrote her memoir about becoming a mom, she was blogging there on her website about her adoption process and connecting with other mothers who were going through the same thing. 
The blog was a big part of the book, even though it's a very different voice. My my blog is a very colloquial voice, and I think that my memoir is a little more literary and lyrical. And it's, you know, written in a different way and with a different intention, but definitely one fed the other for sure. Did your blog's popularity help you get this book published? I think so. I did have a best-selling memoir. Yes, that before helps. This. That helps. So, you know, I wasn't coming out, out of the gate with nothing, but that didn't guarantee me a book contract by any means. And it's hard. You know, parenting is a very saturated market. It was hard to sell this book. And I think that my blog audience was a piece of it, definitely. Even though I'm not a mom myself and I don't plan on becoming one, Jillian's book resonated with me so much. I wondered if it was hard for her to have the marketing side of publishing Pigeonhole It as a motherhood memoir or memoir. You're reduced to a few words. And, of course, the book is so much more than that. But then I've also learned to trust them a little bit and to, to suck it up a little bit and deal with the fact that marketing is by its nature reductive and we all want to sell books and you know I, I want to sell books I want more people to read this and I believe that once it's in people's hands it stands on its own and it speaks for itself so within limits I'm happy to do what I need to do to get it into people's hands. You actually do something that I've been told by writing teachers not to do which is write about being a writer. Right, right, right. Have you gotten that scolding also? Um, I, I write about it in a in a limited way. So it was such an important part of what was going on at that time. But there are things that I don't talk about, too, like that were in a lot of the earlier drafts. I don't talk about how important blogging is to my life, for instance, because there was like so many levels of meta going on if I were to talk about the blog that it was sort of, you know, the blog that was feeding the book that was feeding the blog that was feeding the book. It just seemed way too incestuous. And so that's not really in there. But I do talk about, you know, my career really coming to fruition and me figuring out who I was as an artist at, at the same time that I was figuring out who I was as a mother and those two things being um, so in conflict a lot of the time. And it's one of the central conflicts of the book and of my life. So it was very important to me. But I, I do think that it's true that writing about being a writer can be really boring. <laughs> As a writer, you know, I would far more be hungry for a window into a world that isn't mine if I'm reading in, in an escapist way. Um, although, of course, you know, all the rules are there to be broken, and you can write about anything well. So I was hoping that, you know, that I would write about it, you know, in, in a limited sense, and that I'd write about it well enough that it would transcend the obvious pitfalls. And being a writer and a blogger and a memoirist has definitely shaped the way that Jillian views the world around her. As a memoirist and as, as somebody who writes 
from my life as I've been doing this for so many years. There's really no denying it anymore. I can't really suspend my disbelief in the way that I, I used to be able to. You know, I, I, I mean, I always know that there's a potential as something is happening that it's going to wind up being material. And I think that the important thing is not to assign meaning to things too quickly, especially as a blogger, as somebody who is, you know, churning out 500 words and churning out meaning very quickly from events that are happening. I try to really let things settle and to teach me rather than for me to decide what something means kind of before it's even happened. So that's something that I try to be careful of. But, you know, I've always been a documenter and a diarist, and I've always been somebody who has, I mean, I wouldn't say obsessively, but almost obsessively documenting everything that was going on around me. So... Being a memoirist is a logical extension of that. It's not that different for me to be both living in something and observing it at the same time. Lux, I think you and I disagree slightly about memoir because I feel so defensive about the idea that it's just women like Jillian just transcribing their diaries and all their thoughts and feelings when there's really a lot of craft that goes into it. I, so I, I first of all, just don't want to make it gendered because I really, I agree with you that I really hate when people aggressively pick on women memoirists, but I've read a lot of terrible memoirs and I don't want to tell people like, don't write your story. I don't want to tell people like, what I just want is for people to write their stories better and like do more craft. Like I've just, I have these Memoirs that I'm not going to name because I don't want to call anyone out, but sometimes I read them and I I can see the genesis. And I'm like, oh, you wrote a personal essay on this website and an agent came to you and said, this should be a book. And you were like, yes, it should. I like money. And there wasn't actually any thought about whether this concept really was enough to be a book and whether there was a story. And sometimes it just kind of craps out halfway through and you can see the author losing their place. And that's that's really what I am opposed to. And I think I agree with you that there has to be a craft that a good story isn't enough. And it's also just not enough to write the book for therapeutic purposes, which is another misconception about memoirs that drives me crazy. Well, yeah, I mean, I feel like for me, the worst kind of memoir is when I feel like it's someone else's therapy that I'm paying for. I have needed therapy during the writing of both of my memoirs because I delved into territory that was very painful and sometimes even dangerous for me and things that I had shut the door on for good reason. So that dredging this stuff up, you know, was not necessarily therapeutic in and of itself. I think that a lot of people talk about memoir and they say, you know, oh, well, you you write it down and you get it out. You, You get it out of yourself. And Uh, That hasn't been my experience, and I don't think that there is such a thing as getting it out. I think that the experiences that define us in this profound way live in us, and they stay there. But that learning how to weave them into a narrative 
can be a tremendously empowering experience. So that has been the therapeutic aspect of it for me is learning that ultimately I haven't always had control over the experiences that I've had in my life, but I have control over how I tell the story of them. And that storytelling process has been a real lifesaver for me. Yeah, I'm with you on the skeptical of writing as therapy because it's, I think it's people who aren't writers themselves who are always asking that question like, oh, you must feel so much better. Right. Just get that all out. (laughs) That kind of writing uh, also can sometimes turn out to be really bad (laughs) writing under those auspices because, you know, because you're not necessarily at that point thinking about craft. And that's really important. You know, memoir writing isn't just a transcription of journals or, you know, feelings or, you know, it's crafting a narrative, crafting a story. A narrative that happens to involve real people and can sometimes have very real fallout, which may explain why at the writing workshops I so often go to, I hear so many aspiring memoirists obsessed with the notion of getting permission to tell their story. Jillian's not convinced that that's the best idea, however. I never thought of it in terms of permission. And I think it's an interesting word because I can't imagine a male writer ever saying, like, where can I have the permission? I think that if you are waiting for permission to to have a voice in this world and to tell your story in this world, then you're not going to get it. No, there's no one, there's no one who owes you permission. And like, you have to give yourself the permission, end of story. And that doesn't mean that there aren't all kinds of thorny, ethical questions when you're writing from real life and when you're writing about people who are alive. Um, And those people get to have their reactions to what you're writing. But I think that from what I've seen from my students, from my memoir students, is that a lot of people are putting the cart before the horse with the question of permission and, you know, what's going to happen when, what's my mother going to think when this is published? And almost inevitably, that is a question from somebody who hasn't written anything yet. Right, right, right. So it's very hard to write. It's incredibly hard. I'd rather do anything else. Like my friend Claire Bidwell-Smith and I is another memoirist, and we, we often commiserate. We have what we call business lunches, which are generally like lunches where we drink and cry and <laughs> about how hard writing is. And we say, like, it's much easier to suffer than to write. And what my husband said to me as I was writing my first memoir, and I was like, what's going to happen? What's my father going to think? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and he would say, no one's publishing your book yet. You know? <laughs> like, why, why don't you write something first and then worry about it? I mean, I think, you know, write, write honestly and write with compassion and love and truth and kindness. And then 
ask questions. You can always take things out later. You can always worry about you know, the ethics of something later. If you ask those questions before you're writing, then what you're doing is just giving yourself, you're just giving yourself a reason not to write. Yeah. It's like you're imagining your mom reading every word over your shoulder as you type it into the Word doc. Right. If I was going to write for my mother, (laughs) my mother and my child, if everything I was going to write was going to be acceptable to my mother and my child, then everything I wrote would be like, I don't know, an episode of Yo Gabba Gabba or something, which is, which is a children's show for yeah. anyone who's <laughs> out there not watching baby shows, which is great. I love Yo Gabba Gabba, but that's not what I'm writing. And if you think about the things that have been meaningful to you in your life as a reader, I guarantee you that it's probably not stuff that, you know, Hemingway wasn't sitting around saying, well, like, what will my mother think? I mean, maybe he was. <laughs> but I only somehow in a doubt a completely it. psychosexual, screwed up way. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just think that it's a whole lot of resistance for the most part. And once it becomes a real legitimate question, like once you've actually written something, then it's a different conversation. For Jillian, that conversation had real risks and for a time did real damage. After the release of her first memoir, her parents disowned her. It didn't go so great for a lot of years. And that was very sad. It was very sad to me that my parents were not supportive of my first book. Now, It's four years later, and we're actually having a really nice relationship now. We've managed to to bridge that gap, and they're very proud of my latest book. They love it. And I think that what has ultimately happened with our relationship is that there was this big rift, and then that probably needed to happen, and that we've been able to come back together in a much more honest way. And our relationship is a lot less toxic now. And, you know, I've been able to have conversations with my mother, particularly due to everything I ever wanted to my latest memoir, and that I really treasure. And I don't know how I would have had the courage possibly to have with her if I hadn't put it on the page and had her respond to that. So it's been a real gift my life, even though it also was very painful. And I wasn't expecting them to have the reaction that they had to my first memoir, which was, you know, they disowned me. They were so angry. They were so hurt. But I was prepared for it. I hoped that it would go differently, but I also said, look, I, you know, I stand by this work. I think that every single thing that's in here is essential to the story. And, you know, it needs to be exactly how it is. And I'm prepared for people to have the reaction to it. And most people, that reaction was surprisingly positive, Um, just not my parents for that particular book. But like I said, ultimately, you know, it has been a much more honest conversation that we've been able to have as a result. I'm really glad to have that to report (laughs) now (laughs) because I always felt bad in the past being like, well, I I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) My parents don't really talk to me anymore. It's kind of a bummer, but... Now they do, and it's better than it was before. Even after going through all of that, 
Jillian's still willing and eager to take personal risks with her writing. If we're going to take ourselves seriously as artists, as writers, and we really believe that the stories we're telling are essential, and if they're not, then find another story to tell or don't tell a story or go do something easier. But like that we we need to be willing to leave a little blood, leave a little blood on the page, you know, and, and suffer for it and to handle some repercussions and, you know, to have things not necessarily be all rainbows and sparkles. So if you're not writing for your son and your mom, is there someone you are imagining? Do you have a reader in the back of your mind as you're writing? Well, I mean... Truly, I mean, I said that, but I did actually write this book for my son. Not now, but I did imagine this book to be a gift to him when he's older. So my son really was my reader. I've always liked the Kurt Vonnegut idea that you write for one person. It's just created a sort of intimacy for me as I'm writing and also has freed me of this idea of this big audience full of judgmental people. It mostly is my grandmother. I usually write for my grandmother, but this latest book was really for my son. Speaking of Tariku, if you've read everything you ever wanted, you'll be thrilled to know that he's doing great. Over the summer, Jillian even took him to Greece, a pretty big accomplishment given his special needs. And Jillian and her husband have decided to adopt again, This time, they're going through the California foster care system. And if you're wondering if writing gets easier after you've written a novel in two memoirs... I always think of this scene from... Have you seen the movie Adaptation? Yes. Where Nicolas Cage is sitting there trying to write, and all that's going through his mind is, like, I should get a muffin. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's me every day. I should eat a muffin. (laughs) Like, that's... That should just be the answer to, like, every question. Like, what's it like being a writer? Oh, all I can think about is, like, I need a muffin. Uh Uh-huh. I need a muffin. If you loved hearing Jillian talk memoir, don't forget to pick up her book, Everything You Ever Wanted, available wherever books are sold. She blogs at JillianLauren.com. The Binder Cast is a production of Out of the Binders, Inc., a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to advancing the careers of women and gender nonconforming writers. For more information about Out of the Binders, go to bindercon.com or follow us at bindercon on Twitter. This episode was hosted by Lux Alptrom and Lee Stein and produced by Jennifer Lai. Our theme music is Ready to Go by Miss Eves and Quiche. Many thanks to Seth Lind. <laughs>